Chapter fifty two, part four of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty two. Louis the fifteenth, the ministry of Cardinal Fleury, seventeen twenty three to seventeen forty eight, part four. Quote, the king's danger was noised abroad throughout paris in the middle of the night writes voltaire siecle de louis quinze page one o three everybody gets up runs about in confusion not knowing whither to go the church is open at dead of night nobody takes any more note of time bedtime or daytime or meal-time paris was beside itself all the houses of officials were besieged by a continual crowd knots collected at all the cross-roads the people cried if he should die it will be for having marched to our aid people accosted one another questioned one another in the churches without being the least acquainted there were many churches where the priest who pronounced the prayer for the king's health interrupted the intoning with his tears and the people responded with nothing but sobs and cries the courier who on the nineteenth brought to paris the news of his convalescence was embraced and almost stifled by the people. They kissed his horse, they escorted him in triumph. All the streets resounded with a shout of joy. The king is well! When the monarch was told of the unparalleled transports of joy which had succeeded those of despair, he was affected to tears, and raising himself up in a thrill of emotion which gave him strength, Ah! he exclaimed, how sweet it is to be so loved! What have I done to deserve it? what had he done indeed and what was he destined to do france had just experienced the last gush of that monarchical passion and fidelity which had so long distinguished her and which were at last used up and worn out through the faults of the princes as well as through the blindness and errors of the nation itself confronted with death the king had once more felt the religious terrors which were constantly intermingled with the irregularity of his life he had sent for the queen and had dismissed the duchess of chateauroux on recovering his health he found himself threatened by new perils aggravated by his illness and by the troubled state into which it had thrown the public mind after having ravaged and wasted alsace without marshals cagny and noailles having been able to prevent it prince charles had without being harassed struck again into the road towards bohemia which was being threatened by the king of prussia Quote, this prince wrote marshal belle-isle on the thirteenth of september has written a very strong letter to the king complaining of the quiet way in which prince charles was allowed to cross the rhine he attributes it all to his majesty's illness and complains bitterly of marshal noailles and on the twenty-fifth to count clermont quote, here we are decided at last the king is to start on tuesday the twenty-seventh for lundville and on the fifth of october will be at strasbourg nobody knows as yet any further than that and it is a question whether he will go to fribourg or not the ministers are off back to paris marshal noailles who has sent for his equipage hither asked whether he should attend his majesty who replied as you please rather curtly your highness cannot have a doubt about his doing so after such a gracious permission louis the fifteenth went to the siege of fribourg which was a long and a difficult one he returned to paris on the thirteenth of november 
to the great joy of the people. A few days later, Marshal Belle-Isle, whilst passing through Hanover in the character of negotiator, was arrested by order of George II, and carried to England a prisoner of war, in defiance of the law of nations and the protests of France. The moment was not propitious for obtaining the release of a marshal of France and an able general. The Emperor Charles VII, who but lately returned to his hereditary dominions and recovered possession of his capital after fifteen months of Austrian occupation, died suddenly on the 20th of January, 1745, at forty-seven years of age. The face of affairs changed all at once. The honour of France was no longer concerned in the struggle. The Grand Duke of Tuscany had no longer any competitor for the empire. The eldest son of Charles the Seventh was only seventeen. The Queen of Hungary was disposed for peace. Quote, the English ministry, which laid down the law for all, because it laid down the money, and which had in its pay, all at one time, the Queen of Hungary, the King of Poland, and the King of Sardinia, considered that there was everything to lose by a treaty with France, and everything to gain by arms. War continued, because it had commenced. Voltaire, siècle de Louis XV. The King of France henceforth maintained it almost alone by himself. The young elector of Bavaria had already found himself driven out of Munich, and forced by his exhausted subjects to demand peace of Maria Theresa. The election to the empire was imminent. Maximilian Joseph promised his votes to the Grand Duke of Tuscany. At that price he was re-established in his hereditary dominions. The King of Poland had rejected the advances of France, who offered him the title of Emperor, beneath which Charles VII had succumbed. Marshal Saxe bore all the brunt of the war. A foreigner and a Protestant, for a long while under suspicion with Louis XV, and blackened in character by the French generals, Maurice of Saxony had won authority as well as glory by the splendour of his bravery and of his military genius. Combining with quite a French vivacity the far-sightedness and the perseverance of the races of the North, he had been toiling for more than a year to bring about amongst his army a spirit of discipline, a powerful organization, a contempt for fatigue as well as for danger. Quote, At Dettingen, the success of the Allies was due to their surprising order, for they were not seasoned to war, he used to say. Order did not as yet reign in the army of Marshal Saxe. In 1745, the situation was grave. The Marshal was attacked with dropsy. His life appeared to be in danger. He nevertheless commanded his preparations to be made for the campaign and when Voltaire, who was one of his friends, was astounded at it, quote, It is no question of living, but of setting out, was his reply. The king was preparing to set out, like Marshal Saxe. He had just married the Dauphin to the eldest daughter of the king of Spain. The young prince accompanied his father to the front before Tournai, which the French army was besieging. On the 8th of May, Louis XV visited the outskirts. An attack from the enemy was expected, the field of battle was known beforehand. The village of Fontenoy had already been occupied by Marshal Noailles, who had asked to serve as aide-de-camp to Marshal Saxe, to whom he was attached by sincere friendship, and whom he had very much contributed to advance in the king's good graces. Quote, Never did Louis XV show more gaiety than on the eve of the fight, says Voltaire. The conversation was of battles at which kings had been present in person, the king said that since the battle of poitiers no king of france had fought with his son beside him 
that since st louis none had gained any signal victory over the english and that he hoped to be the first he was the first up on the day of action he himself at four o'clock awoke count d'argenson minister of war who on the instant sent to ask marshal saxe for his final orders the marshal was found in a carriage of osier work which served him for a bed and in which he himself had drawn about when his exhausted powers no longer allowed him to sit his horse the king and the dauphin had already taken up their positions of battle the two villages of fontenoy and antoine and the wood of barry were occupied by french troops two armies of fifty thousand men each were about to engage in the lists as at dettingen austria had sent but eight thousand soldiers under the orders of the old and famous general Koenigsegg. the english and the hollanders were about to bear all the burden and heat of the day it was not five in the morning and already there was a thunder of cannon the hollanders attacked the village of antoine the english that of fontenoy the two posts were covered by a redoubt which belched forth flames the hollanders refused to deliver the assault an attack made by the english on the wood of barry had been repulsed Quote, forward my lord right to your front said old Koenigsegg to the duke of cumberland george the second's son who commanded the english the ravine in front of fontenoy must be carried the english advanced they formed a deep and serried column preceded and supported by artillery the french batteries mowed them down right and left whole ranks fell dead they were at once filled up the cannon which they dragged along by hand pointed towards fontenoy and the redoubts replied to the french artillery an attempt of some officers of the french guards to carry off the cannon of the english was unsuccessful the two corps found themselves at last face to face the english officers took off their hats count chaban and the duke of biron who had moved forward returned their salute Quote, gentlemen of the french guard fire exclaimed lord charles hay Quote, fire yourselves gentlemen of england immediately replied count d'autrache we never fire first all fiction it is said the volley of the english laid low the foremost ranks of the french guards this regiment had been effeminated by a long residence in paris and at versailles its colonel the duke of gramont had been killed in the morning at the commencement of the action it gave way and the english cleared the ravine which defended fontenoy they advanced as if on parade the major or sergeant major small cane in hand rested it lightly on the soldiers muskets to direct their fire several regiments successively opposed to the english column found themselves repulsed and forced to beat a retreat the english still advanced marshal saxe carried about everywhere in his osier letter saw the danger with a calm eye he sent the marquis of meuse to the king quote, i beg your majesty he told him to say to go back with the dauphin over the bridge of Cologne. i will do what i can to restore the battle quote, i know well enough that he will do what is necessary answered the king but i stay where i am marshal saxe mounted his horse in its turn the cavalry had been repulsed by the english their fire swept away rank after rank of the regiment of Vesso, which would not be denied. Quote, How is it that such troops are not victorious? cried Marshal Saxe, who was moving about at a foot's pace in the middle of the fire, without his cuirass, which his weakness did not admit of his wearing. He advanced towards Fontenoy. 
the batteries had just fallen short of ball the english column had ceased marching arrested by the successive efforts of the french regiments it remained motionless and seemed to receive no more orders but it preserved a proud front and appeared to be masters of the field of battle marshal saxe was preparing for the retreat of the army he had relinquished his proposal for that of the king from the time that the english had come up and pressed him closely Quote, it was my advice before the danger was so great he said now there is no falling back a disorderly council was being held around louis the fifteenth with the fine judgment and sense which he often displayed when he took the trouble to have an opinion on his affairs the king had been wise enough to encourage his troops by his presence without in any way interfering with the orders of marshal saxe the duke of richelieu vented an opinion more worthy of the name he bore than had been his wont in his life of courtiership and debauchery Quote, throw forward the artillery against the column he said and let the king's household with all the disposable regiments attack them at the same time they must be fallen upon like so many foragers the retreat of the hollanders admitted of the movement the small field pieces as yet dragged by hand were pointed against the english column marshal saxe with difficulty keeping his seat upon his horse galloped hastily up to the irish brigade commanding all the troops he met on the way to make no more false attacks and to act in concert all the forces of the french army burst simultaneously upon the english the irish regiments in the service of france nearly all composed of jacobite emigrants fought with fury twice the brave enemy rallied but the officers fell on all sides the ranks were everywhere broken at last they retired without disorder without enfeeblement preserving even in defeat the honour of a vigorous resistance the battle was gained at the moment when the most clear-sighted had considered it lost marshal saxe had still strength left to make his way to the king Quote, i have lived long enough sir he said now that i have seen your majesty victorious you now know on what the fortune of battles depends the victory of fontenoy like that of denain restored the courage and changed the situation of france when the king of prussia heard of his ally's success he exclaimed with a grin quote, this is about as useful to us as a battle gained on the banks of the scamander his selfish absorption in his personal and direct interests obscured the judgment of frederick the great he however did justice to marshal saxe quote, there was a discussion the other day as to what battle had reflected most honour on the general commanding he wrote a long while after the battle of fontenoy some suggested that of almanza others that of turin but i suggested and everybody finally agreed that it was undoubtedly that in which the general had been at death's door when it was delivered the fortress of tournay surrendered on the twenty second of may the citadel capitulated on the nineteenth of june ghent bruges oudenarde dendermonde ostend nienport yielded one after another to the french armies in the month of february seventeen forty six marshal saxe terminated the campaign by taking brussels by the first of the previous september louis the fifteenth had returned in triumph to paris henceforth he remained alone confronting germany which was neutral or had rallied round the restored empire on the thirteenth of september the grand duke of tuscany had been proclaimed emperor at frankfort under the name of francis i 
the indomitable resolution of the queen his wife had triumphed in spite of the checks she suffered in the low countries maria theresa still withstood at all points the pacific advances of the belligerents on the fourth of june the king of prussia had gained a great victory at Freilberg. Quote, i have honoured the bill of exchange your majesty drew on me at fontenoy he wrote to louis the fifteenth a series of successful fights had opened the road to saxony frederick headed thither rapidly on the eighteenth of december he occupied dresden this time the king of poland elector of saxony forced the hand of the new empress Quote, the austrians and the saxons have just sent ministers hither to negotiate for peace said a letter to france from the king of prussia so i have no course open but to sign would that i might be fortunate enough to serve as the instrument of general pacification after discharging my duty towards the state i govern and towards my family no object will be nearer to my heart than that of being able to render myself of service to your majesty's interests frederick the great returned to berlin covered with glory and definitively master of silesia quote, learn once for all he said at a later period in his instructions to his successor that where a kingdom is concerned you take when you can and that you are never wrong when you are not obliged to hand over an insolent and a cynical maxim of brute force which conquerors have put in practice at all times without daring to set it up as a principle whilst berlin was in gala trim to celebrate the return of her monarch in triumph europe had her eyes fixed upon the unparalleled enterprise of a young man winning courageous and frivolous as he was attempting to recover by himself alone the throne of his fathers for nearly three years past charles edward stuart son of chevalier st george had been awaiting in france the fulfilment of the promises and hopes which had been flashed before his eyes weary of hope deferred he had conceived the idea of a bold stroke Quote, why not attempt to cross in a vessel to the north of scotland had been the question put to him by cardinal tenson who had some time before owed his cardinal's hat to the dethroned king of great britain your presence will be enough to get you a party and an army and france will be obliged to give you aid charles edward had followed this audacious counsel landing in june seventeen forty five in the highlands of scotland he had soon found the clans of the mountaineers hurrying to join his standard at the head of this wild army he had in a few months gained over the whole of scotland on the twentieth of september he was proclaimed at edinburgh regent of england france scotland and ireland for his father james the third george the second had left hanover the duke of cumberland returning from germany took command of the troops assembled to oppose the invader their success in the battle of preston pans against general cope had emboldened the scots at the end of december seventeen forty five prince charles edward and his army had advanced as far as derby it was the fate of the stuarts whether heroes or dastards to see their hopes blasted all at once and to drag down in their fall their most zealous and devoted partisans the aid so often promised by france and spain had dwindled down to the private expeditions of certain brave adventurers the duke of richelieu it was said was to put himself at their head Quote, as to the embarkation at dunkirk writes the advocate barbier at the close of the year seventeen forty five there is great anxiety about it for we are at the end of december and it is not yet done 
which gives every one occasion to make up news according to his fancy this uncertainty discourages the frenchman who gives out that our expedition will not take place or at any rate will not succeed charles edward had already been forced to fall back upon scotland as in sixteen fifty one at the time of the attempt of charles the second england remained quite cold in the presence of the scottish invasion the duke of cumberland was closely pressing the army of the mountaineers on the twenty third of april seventeen forty six the foes found themselves face to face at culloden in the environs of inverness charles edward was completely beaten and the army of the highlanders destroyed the prince only escaped either death or captivity by the determined devotion of his partisans whether distinguished or obscure a hundred persons had risked their lives for him when he finally succeeded on the tenth of october in touching land in brittany near st paul de leon his friends and his defenders were meanwhile dying for his cause on scaffold or gallows the anger and severity displayed by the english government towards the jacobites were aggravated by the checks encountered upon the continent by the coalition at the very moment when the duke of cumberland was defeating charles edward at culloden antwerp was surrendering to louis the fifteenth in person mons namur and charleroi were not long before they fell prince charles of lorraine was advancing to the relief of the besieged places marshal saxe left open to him the passage of the meuse the french camp seemed to be absorbed in pleasures the most famous actors from paris were ordered to amuse the general and the soldiers on the tenth of october in the evening madame favard came forward on the stage to-morrow said she there will be no performance on account of the battle the day after we shall have the honour of giving you le coq du village at the same time the marshal sent the following order to the columns which were already forming on the road from saint tron to liege near the village of Rocoux. whether the attack succeed or not the troops will remain in the position in which night finds them in order to recommence the assault upon the enemy the battle of october the eleventh left the battlefield in the hands of the victors the sole result of a bloody and obstinate engagement marshal saxe went to rest himself at paris the people's enthusiasm rivalled and endorsed the favour shown to him by the king at the opera the whole house rose at the entrance of the valiant foreigner who had dedicated his life to france there was clapping of hands and the actress who in the prologue took the character of glory leaned over towards the marshal with a crown of laurel Quote, the marshal was surprised and refused it with profound bows glory insisted and as the marshal was too far off in the boxes for her to hand it to him the duke of biron took the crown from glory's hands and passed it under marshal saxe's left arm this striking action called forth fresh acclamations hurrah for marshal saxe and great clapping of hands the king has given the marshal chambord for life and has even ordered it to be furnished independently of all these honours it is said that the marshal is extremely rich and powerful just now solely as the result of his safe conducts which being applicable to a considerable extent of country have been worth immense sums to him the second marriage of the dauphin who had already lost the infanta with the princess of saxony daughter of the king of poland was about to raise before long the fortune in favour of marshal saxe to the highest pitch he was proclaimed marshal-general of the king's armies 
so much luck and so much glory in the low countries covered in the eyes of france and of europe the checks encountered by the king's armies in italy the campaign of seventeen forty five had been very brilliant parma piacenza montferrat nearly all milaness with the exception of a few fortresses were in the hands of the spanish and french forces the king of sardinia had recourse to negotiation he amused the marquis of argenson at that time louis the fifteenth's foreign minister a man of honest expansive but chimerical views at the moment when the king and the marquis believed themselves to be remodelling the map of europe at their pleasure they heard that charles emmanuel had resumed the offensive the french corps had been surprised at asti on the fifth of march thirty thousand austrians marched down from the tyrol and the spaniards evacuated milan a series of checks forced marshal maillebois to effect a retreat the enemy's armies crossed the var and invaded french territory marshal belle-isle fell back to puget four leagues from toulon the austrians had occupied genoa the faithful ally of france their vengefulness and their severe exactions caused them to lose the fruits of their victory the grandees were ruined by war requisitions the populace were beside themselves at the insolence of the conquerors senators and artisans made common cause an austrian captain having struck a workman the passengers in the streets threw themselves upon him and upon his comrades who came to his assistance the insurrection spread rapidly in all quarters of genoa there was a pillage of the weapons lying heaped in the palace of the doge the senators put themselves at the head of the movement the peasants in the country flew to arms the marquis of botta the austrian commandant being attacked on all sides and too weak to resist sallied from the town with nine regiments the allies disquieted and dismayed threatened provence and laid siege to genoa louis the fifteenth felt the necessity of not abandoning his ally the duke of boufflay and six thousand french shut themselves up in the place Quote, show me the danger the general had said on entering the town it is my duty to ascertain it i shall make all my glory depend upon securing you from it the resistance of genoa was effectual but it cost the life of the duke of boufflay who was wounded in an engagement and died three days before the retreat of the austrians on the sixth of july seventeen forty seven on the nineteenth of july common sense belle-isle or bon sens de belle-isle as the chevalier was called at court to distinguish himself from his brother the marshal nicknamed imagination attacked with a considerable body of troops the piedmontese entrenchments at the assietta pass between the fortresses of exil and fenestrel at the same time marshal belle-isle was seeking a passage over the stura pass and the spanish army was attacking piedmont by the way of the apennines the engagement at the heights of assietta was obstinate chevalier belle-isle wounded in both arms threw himself bodily upon the palisades to tear them down with his teeth he was killed and the french sustained a terrible defeat five thousand men were left on the battlefield the campaign of italy was stopped the king of spain philip v enfeebled and exhausted almost in infancy had died on the ninth of july seventeen forty six the fidelity of his successor ferdinand the sixth married to a portuguese princess appeared doubtful he had placed at the head of his forces in italy the marquis of las minas with orders to preserve to spain her only army Quote, 
the spanish soldiers are of no more use to us than if they were so much cardboard said the french troops europe was tired of the war england avenged herself for her reverses upon the continent by her successes at sea the french navy neglected systematically by cardinal fleury did not even suffice for the protection of commerce the hollanders who had for a long while been undecided and had at last engaged in the struggle against france without any declaration of war bore in seventeen forty seven the burden of the hostilities count lowendal a friend of marshal saxe and like him in the service of france had taken sluice and sastagand bergen op zoom was besieged on the first of july marshal saxe had gained under the king's own eye the battle of lawfeld as in sixteen seventy two the french invasion had been the signal for a political revolution in holland the aristocratical burgessdom which had resumed power succumbed once more beneath the efforts of the popular party directed by the house of nassau and supported by england Quote, the republic has need of a chief against an ambitious and perfidious neighbour who sports with the faith of treaties said a deputy of the states-general on the day of the proclamation of the stadtholderat re-established in favour of william the fourth grand-nephew of the great william the third and son-in-law of the king of england george the second louis the fifteenth did not let himself be put out by this outburst Quote, the hollanders are good folks he wrote to marshal noailles it is said however that they are going to declare war against us they will lose quite as much as we shall bergen op zoom was taken and plundered on the sixteenth of september count lowendal was made a marshal of france quote, peace is in maastricht sir was the morris of saxony's constant remark to the king on the ninth of april seventeen forty eight the place was invested before the thirty-five thousand russians promised to england by the tsarina elizabeth had found time to make their appearance on the rhine a congress was already assembled at aix-la-chapelle to treat for peace the hollanders whom the marquis of argenson before his disgrace used always to call quote, the ambassadors of england end quote, took fright at the spectacle of maastricht besieged from parleys they proceeded to the most vehement urgency and england yielded the preliminaries of peace were signed on the thirtieth of april it was not long before austria and spain gave in their adhesion on the eighteenth of october the definitive treaty was concluded at aix-la-chapelle france generously restored all her conquests without claiming other advantages beyond the assurance of the duchies of parma and piacenza to the infante don philip son-in-law of louis the fifteenth england surrendered to france the island of cape breton and the colony of louisbourg the only territory she had preserved from her numerous expeditions against the french colonies and from the immense losses inflicted upon french commerce the great frederick kept silesia the king of sardinia the territories already ceded by austria only france had made great conquests and only she retained no increment of territory she recognized the pragmatic sanction in favor of austria and the protestant succession in favor of george the second prince charles edward a refugee in france refused to quit the hospitable soil which had but lately offered so magnificent an asylum to the unfortunates of his house he was however carried off whilst at the opera forced into a carriage and conveyed far from the frontier Quote, as stupid as the peace was the bitter saying in the streets of paris the peace of Aix-la-Chapelle had a graver defect than that of fruitlessness. It was not and could not be durable. 
England was excited, ambitious of that complete empire of the sea which she had begun to build up upon the ruins of the French navy and the decay of Holland, and greedy of distant conquests over colonies which the French could not manage to defend. In proportion as the old influence of Richelieu and of Louis XIV over European politics grew weaker and weaker, English influence, founded upon the growing power of a free country and a free government, went on increasing in strength. Without any other ally but Spain, herself wavering in her fidelity, the French remained exposed to the attempts of England, henceforth delivered from the phantom of the Stuarts. Quote, the peace concluded between England and France in 1748 was, as regards Europe, nothing but a truce, says Lord Macaulay. It was not even a truce in other quarters of the globe. The mutual rivalry and mistrust between the two nations began to show themselves everywhere, in the East as well as in the West, in India as well as in America. End of chapter 52